Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Do you believe that God has a plan or a purpose for your life? And for any Bible or theology scholars out there, I'm not talking about the debate between predestination or prevenient grace. I'm talking about whether or not there is a purpose to us being saved. I'm talking about like, what do we do once we saved? Is there a plan from that moment? Once we accept the gift of grace, the gift of salvation from God, once we become part of the body, once our chains are set free and we are set free from our sins, what do we do at that moment? The, the last two weeks, we've covered the first chapter of Ephesians, and we can see this clear message that is developed by Paul throughout Ephesians. And, and, and he says that, that because of the things that God has done for us, those things bring us to a place to praise him. We worship him because of those things and because of those praises, because of those reasons for praising him, we are then brought to a place of desiring to know him more. Paul wants us to desire to know God on a deep level, to know the power of God. And it's the same power that rose Christ from the grave. This power, the Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of us. And Paul desires for us to know it, to know the power, but ultimately to know Christ more. In the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, it begins with this word and, or in our case in the NIV, it says as, which connects what he is about to say which with everything that he had previously said before. It's this continued thought that, that we praise God for all of these many reasons and we desire to know God more because of his great power. And then in verse 1 of chapter 2, it begins with and or as, meaning in addition to that or because of that. And then he says in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. He says, as, or again, and, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Those are often hard words to hear. And Paul uses this language of, of you and, and us or we, meaning that, that he's including everyone into what he is saying. And what he is saying is that at some point, every single person was dead in their transgressions and sins. And because of that, because of that old lifestyle, that old way of living, because of those things, 
chains, we deserve wrath. Paul is describing this lifestyle. It's a way that, that is in the past for us as Christians that we no longer live that way. He said that in these ways that you used to live, meaning past tense, and also states that all of us lived, again, past tense. And while it's past tense for us as Christians, while we have ventured out, while we have been set free and saved, and we no longer live that way, it is present tense for a lot of other people in the world, meaning that every single person in the world has either lived in a state or is currently living in this state, this, this lifestyle and this state of living, this lifestyle of sin. He describes in verse three, he, he describes it as a state where we gratify the cravings of our flesh and follow its desires and thoughts. But, but the message that we often hear in America is that aren't we supposed to do whatever makes us happy? But yet Paul tells, tells us not to follow our own desires, but yet the message of, of the world is that we should follow our desires. I thought we were supposed to follow our dreams and our pass, passions. I thought that we were supposed to find a career that we really enjoy and we're supposed to find somebody that, that we really want to be with forever and start a family with them and then live in a place that we desire but yet Paul here says that, that following our desires and thoughts are wrong. And there's an important distinction in what we are supposed to follow or avoid. And the distinction is in the power of which we choose to follow. Paul says in verse 2, he's, again, he's describing this condition of, of living in sin. And he says in verse 2, he says, again, talking about the ways that you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul, Paul is describing an evil power that exists. The, the ways of this world, the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the, the spirit that is at work in those who are disobedient. And, and the ways of this world would relate to, to world systems or world standards. These are powerful influences on society's attitudes, on, on their habits and their preferences. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air would refer to this idea of invisible forces that uh, of invisible forces of evil that are at play and these invisible forces of evil that are controlling and misguiding and misleading people, which Paul will talk again about at the end of Ephesians. And then he talks here about the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And it's important to make a quick distinction between the Holy Spirit and the spirit that he mentions here. This, this spirit is not talking about, about the person of God. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit, but rather the, the, the essence of somebody. It's like trying to describe 
describe a very joyful and optimistic person by saying that, that when they walk into the room, they have a spirit of joy with them. It's, it's like in, in essence, some people call it an, an energy or even a quality. And so Paul here is describing this essence or this quality that is at work in people in a negative way. And ultimately what Paul is describing is this very real negative evil force that exists in our world today. A very real sinful nature that is battling for control in our lives. There is a fight between good and evil that exists within us, but also that exists around us. Us. And it is a very real controlling thing that has a major impact on our lives. It is a very real evil that controls people and keeps them enslaved to sin. It's as if it, it, it's, it's a way of life where we at one time, we are, we are just so self-absorbed. We are self-centered. We are self-indulgent, just looking at, at what matters to us only in this, this negative way. It's, it's a way of life where we focus on what makes us happy or what we personally desire without even thinking about what God wants or what is best for the kingdom or best for the church or best for those around us. And the worst part, the worst part is that most people don't even recognize it. Most people don't even realize that there is something wrong. I want to read to you something that I read this week. It was written in 1989, 34 years ago, by a biblical scholar who, who was reflecting on this passage in Ephesians 2 about all of these, these the ways of the world and how people are following the ways of this world. He wrote, May God open our eyes to see the chaos, slavery, and death the nefarious powers have wreaked among us. Human beings are dehumanized by political oppression and bureaucratic tyranny, by a secular outlook that repudiates God, by an amoral ethic that rejects all absolutes, by conspicuous consumption and acquisitiveness that turns money and material possessions into idols, by poverty and hunger, by workaholism and unemployment, by racism and other forms of systematic injustice. This was written in 1889, and 34 years later, we still see the exact same thing going on in the world. We still see human beings being dehumanized by oppression or by tyranny. We still see a secular culture that, that rejects absolute truth which then leads to truth being whatever you want it to, to believe, which then leads to an unethical and unmoral way of life. We see how, how consumer consumption turns money and materials into idols. And we still see issues with racism and systematic injustice today. And in many ways, these issues have seemed to increase within this digital age of social media where, where it's all 
all about how many likes or engagements you get in this world. And, and we are forming idols out of those things. There is a real power that has enslaved people and is causing destruction all around us. And most people don't even see it. Most people don't even recognize it. And as this man wrote, may God open our eyes to see it. And as I talk to people who have struggled with addictions, they all tell me a similar thing. They say that when they first started, they had no idea of, of how bad it was. They had no idea that they were even addicted. They thought they were in control. But now that they are clean, now that they've come out on the other side, they can look back and see how destructive it was. They can look back and see, wow, I was actually a slave to that addiction and I didn't even realize it. They can look back and see the ways that it was destroying not only their life, but lives of those around them. And often we don't even realize that we are slaved until we can come out of it and on the other side and actually look back. And this is what Paul is describing. He's describing this state that we once lived before we were Christians. We lived as slaves to sin, as slaves to the world, as slaves to a, a lifestyle that is not in line with the will of God. And those that are not Christians yet, they still live in this state. And because of that, verse 3, Paul says that we were by nature deserving wrath. This is bad news. But then Paul follows it up with really good news. Verse four, he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is the good news. Paul says here, in a way, he is saying, but God, have you heard that phrase? That's like the new phrase that, that, that everybody uh, that thinks about. I actually had a friend that I saw this week and he just got a tattoo on his forearm that says, but God, it's this new phrase, this idea that, that even though this bad thing happens, but God, we were slaves, but God, Paul says, but because of his great love for us, he is, he is saying again that, that we were once dead, we were once enslaved to sin, enslaved to those evil powers, but God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. Paul described this horrible state of life, this horrible way of, of being enslaved and now contrast that with the power of God. His main point here is that now we have been made alive with Christ. And because of that, we have something different, a complete contrast to what was. He uses this language that we can see of all of these opposites. He says, then verse now, death verse life, human verse God, nature verse grace, wrath verse salvation, Satan's slaves verse Christ's victors. And this was all possible, Paul says, because of God's love, mercy, grace, 
and kindness. It is all possible because of these things that God takes every step he can take to reverse our condition in sin. And then Paul uses this language from verse 5 and 6. He says that God made us alive. God raised us up. God seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And this is the same language that we looked at last week where Paul is describing the power of God that, that was on display in the life of Christ. From chapter 1 verse 20, it says that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. And now Paul is saying that that same power of God, that same power that is incomparable, that same power that was on display in Christ is the same power that is on display in us as we are spiritually raised up in life with Christ and we spiritually are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And I said last week that, that when God seated Christ in heaven, he made Christ the ruler of everything, giving him all authority and made him the victor over every power that exists, which means that we once were powerless to the evil forces in the world around us. But now, but God, because of Christ, we now have victory over those forces. We have also been raised up and seated in heaven, this place of power over the world around us. And but now because of Christ, we have victory over those forces that are around us. It is God's power in us through the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to be set free from slavery of sin that once held us captive. And as Christians, we know this. As Christians, we, we experience this. But sometimes we get amnesia and we forget. Sometimes we slip back into our old life of sin and find ourselves captive, enslaved to sin once again. And we forget about the power that is at our fingertips to allow us to be set free again. Sometimes we forget about what God has done for us. And I'm convinced of this because if we remembered, then Paul is convinced that if we, are, if we remembered this, then we would be brought to our knees in surrender and worship to God, constantly praying and giving thanks to him and constantly desiring to know more of him in every aspect of our life. But yet I don't see that in the church as I look around. I see that, that, that we split our time with what we worship on. Paul is convinced that if we actually remembered that, if we actually grasped that in our minds, if we know that on a deep level, we will desire nothing more than to be in his presence. And Paul could just stop there. He, he could have stopped his entire letter of Ephesians and stopped there. And that would be enough for us to keep on living forever. But he doesn't. He now begins to reveal, to tell us why God has done all of these things. He, he begins to reveal more of God's master plan. He says that, that God has done all of this. 
Verse 7, God has done all of this in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's purpose, the purpose of giving us salvation is far greater than just our individual salvations. It's far greater than just an individual person being saved. His purpose, his far greater purpose is to show his grace and kindness. It is through the salvation that he offers us and it is through his handiwork in our lives that he reveals all of this to us. In verse 8, Paul re-emphasizes that, that the source of this salvation, he, he tells us that the source of this salvation is grace. It is because of God's grace that we have been saved. And then he adds in through faith. But then quickly follows that up in verse 9 by making sure that we understand that it is not our own works that we are saved. So that we are unable to boast. Think of it this way. God is the source of salvation. And faith is the means by which we receive that grace. Faith is the human activity. It's the human activity that gives God permission to do what only he can do, which is to save us. Place, or faith means that, that we place our confidence in God alone as Savior. It means that we give up the possibility of us saving ourselves. We give up control to him and realize that we cannot earn it, that we cannot do it. It comes from God alone. Faith includes a willingness to surrender as well as a commitment to continue obeying. And Paul says that this grace is the gift of God. If I wanted to give a present to somebody, I would probably wrap it up in a box. Or rather, I'd have my wife wrap it up because I cannot figure out how to wrap it up. The white always shows. So I would have somebody else wrap it for me. And if I wanted to give a gift... I would take this and I would hold it out to Milo and I would say, here, I have a gift. And then I would awkwardly stand here until Milo takes it from my hands. It's, it's though, even though I am the one giving this gift, I can't force Milo to take it. I can't just throw it at him. I mean, I can, but it just bounces off of him. I cannot force him to receive this gift. It is only he who can then actually receive it. God is giving us the gift of salvation, his grace. 
and we receive it through our faith. And this gift is a free gift given to everyone. God extends his grace to everyone, to whomever will respond with faith to receive it. God won't force us to take it, but offers it to us freely anyway and allows us to choose to receive it with our faith. But it's not that we work our way to it. It's not that we have earned it. It's not even about the act of us reaching out our hands and taking it or opening up the gift. The purpose here and the point of all of this is the fact that God is freely giving it to us. And he does it this way. He has designed it this way that he freely gives it to everybody for the sole purpose of us not being able to boast about it. We cannot do anything to earn it. We cannot do a good work to earn it. God doesn't withhold this gift to us and wait for us to do something before he offers it to us. God is already standing there offering it to us. And all we have to do is receive it through faith. Because if it were earned then it would be considered a payment or a reward. It would not be considered a true gift. A true gift is something given for no other reason than the giver wants to give it. And because it is a free gift, it means that we cannot brag about it. We cannot boast because it has nothing to do with anything that we have done. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I know I may step on some toes here. So hear what Paul is writing in Ephesians. It is not an accomplishment to become a Christian. We are in no position to claim even the slightest credit. We are in no position to assume that we are better than somebody else because we have received it. To be a Christian is a great privilege, but it is not an accomplishment and it is not an entitlement. God has given us this free gift to us for the purpose of showing his grace and his kindness through this gift, but also of showing his grace and kindness through his handiwork. That Paul says in verse 10, it is through God's handiwork, that we are God's handiwork. Paul uses other languages in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that, that we are all a new creation. That our lives, our new lives are his creative work. And again, we cannot boast about this because Christians are not self-made. Christians are remade. They are transformed by God himself. And we are remade, verse 10, in order to do the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. Meaning that, that, that the good works are not the condition of salvation. We don't work first and then are saved. Meaning that, that the good works don't come first. 
but rather they are a natural consequence or, or reaction to us being saved. Good works are, are a demonstration that we are saved. Later in Ephesians 4, Paul reiterates this idea of God making us into a new creation. We could say that he recreates us to be like God in true righteousness and, and holiness. And the good works that we do are accomplished only in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they demonstrate the integrity of our faith. The integrity of the faith of the one who believes. And if we think about it from, from taking a step back and reading through the entire Bible, we can see that God has always had a plan to restore this fallen world through his holy people. He started in the Old Testament by forming a people, the Israelites, to be a holy people that were set apart in order to prepare for the coming of the Messiah, that is Jesus Christ. And now, after Christ, he intends to use people that were once enslaved to now accomplish his created purposes through and in Christ. Paul, Paul is hinting at and preparing us for things that he will say later in Ephesians that God uses the church, the holy people of God to equip one another and to do the good works in the world. It is this, this the, the, the generous divine power of God that recreates one-time sinners into saints who immerse themselves in good works, who immerse themselves in the good works of God's divine design. And there's another aspect to this pa passage that, that's important to state. God does not immediately take salvaged and saved sinners out of this world and place them in a heavenly realm to, to find rest, to say, well done, good and faithful servant, find rest, live here with us. He, he doesn't do that. He has left us in this fallen and fragmented world on purpose. The earth, if we go back and read Genesis, the, the earth is God's good creation. And he has chosen to work through us to accomplish his purposes for it, which are all about restoration. A moment ago, I intentionally said that it's like God left us in this broken world. But he does not leave us. He has not forgotten us. He intentionally places us in this world as his agents of peace, seeking restoration of all of creation. The good works are already there for us to do. But it takes, as Paul said at the beginning of Ephesians, it takes people with God-enlightened hearts or, or opened up hearts to actually see them. The good works that he has planned for us to do already exist in the world. God recreated us and then generously graced us to do those good works. 
The question is, will we begin to actually see what those good works are? Will we know the good works that he has actually set before us to do? Will we embrace the gift of God's grace through our faith? Will we live as people, not of this fallen world, but still in this world doing those good works? A few years ago, my, my grandpa had a major heart attack and he, he almost didn't survive. And when he did survive and when he did recover, he made the choice to stop smoking. And my grandpa had smoked at that point nearly 50 years, most like pretty much his entire life. But in that moment, when he was brought into life from near death, he made the choice to stop smoking because if he continued to smoke, his health would decline again and he would most likely die. So he chose to stop smoking. But I know other people that are, that are saved from a medical condition and that they are actually brought back to life in a hospital, but then immediately return to the destructive patterns of life that sent them into the hospital in the first place. It's like they are taking for granted the fact that they have been brought back to life, that they have been given a second chance. What Paul is describing for us is that God has saved us, that we are brought back from death and we didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve this saving, but still we have been saved and we have the ability to accept or receive this gift of salvation, to receive the power of God's Holy Spirit. But once we are saved, we still have a choice to make. We can either return to our old destructive patterns of life that just continue to lead us back to death. Or we can choose to follow Jesus. We can choose to live for him instead of ourselves. And that choice is ours. God has prepared a good work for us to do. And God even equips us and prepares us to do that good work. But what it takes is for us to choose to surrender. It takes us having faith in him. It takes us being willing to partner with God on his plan. And as we do that, as we partner with God, as we choose to make those decisions, then our eyes, the, the, or rather the eyes of our heart, will slowly begin to open and we will begin to see the world differently. We begin to see the good works that God has prepared us to do. But the choice is yours. Will you choose to receive this gift? Will you choose to let your hearts be opened? Will you choose to see the good works that God has prepared for you to do? Not so that we can boast, not so that we can get credit, but so that his grace may abound more and more in our lives, in and around us. The choice is yours. And my prayer is that, that God would give us this grace, not merely to be saved, but to make a difference in the world. Pray with me. God, we are so thankful 
that you have given to us your grace, that you have given to us your gift of salvation, that we haven't earned it, that we don't deserve it, but you freely offer it to us. God, I ask that you would give us the, the desire to receive that in faith. I ask that you would give the community and the world around us to desire that in faith, to desire more of you. God, I want us to desire more of you. God, I want you to use our church to be and share your message in the world. God, you have called us and prepared us to do a good work. Father, you trust us to do that. I pray that you would give us the strength to do those things. Give us the eyes to see what you have set before us. Give us the endurance to not give up, but to push through. God, we are here. Choose us. God, you are so wonderful. And it's because of your goodness that we fall to our knees to praise and worship you. God, we choose you. And in this choice, we choose to praise you in your name. And we give thanks to you. And we praise you. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnaschurch or our website, rnaz.church.